We will be in 1 Samuel chapter 20 today. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. So last week we saw where David fought Goliath, conquered Goliath, and, and it seemed to end on a, on a pretty good note. Uh, there was victory in Israel. Their, their foe, Goliath, was defeated. David was successful. Everything is going well, and it does not stay that way for very long. Uh, so right after this we see, because we're going to get up into to chapter 20, it's only three chapters later, but things have changed a lot. So Jonathan, who is Saul's son, and David become the very best of friends. Uh, they are best friends in, in, in very, very close, as the Bible describes it. And, and this is right after David fights Goliath. They become very close all throughout David's time serving Saul. But the problem is, in David's service to Saul, Saul becomes a very jealous man. We already see, since he was rejected by the Lord because of his disobedience, how Saul had begun to take this descent down a bad path. And we're going to see that really coming toward the peak of, of, its, of, its decline, of the peak of his decline. The depth of his decline, I guess, would be a better way to say it. So Saul is jealous of David because David is so successful in everything that he does. So because of this, Saul seeks to have David die in battle. Any opportunity he has to send David into a, a difficult circumstance, Saul is happy about that. He wants David to fail. And he even gives him, Saul gives him his daughter to be married, Michal, but he doesn't do it. Uh, he, he, he puts a very difficult task for him in front of it. And, and David, in through, even through that, excels. And he even goes so far as to attempt to kill David. So he's attempted to kill him already, and so David has kind of been fleeing from Saul. And that's where we come to today. Because David's confused about what's going on. So we're going to read this in a few parts. We're going to look at each of the three people in this passage, in this chapter. We're going to look at David, we're going to look at Saul, and we're going to look at Jonathan. These are the three people that are interacting right now. So first, we're going to read the first three verses of, of chapter 20, looking at David. But, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us to come together to, to look at Your Word, to see what it says to us. Lord, I pray that as we look at David and Saul and Jonathan, that we would be able to see who we identify with. We can see how we are living in our life right now. Because I feel confident that wherever we are, one of these people will be who we will identify with. God, I pray that You would help convict us where we have fault in our life, as we certainly do. That You would help show us how to walk in a way that honors You. I pray that we would be open to hearing what Your Word says to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1-3. through 3. Then David fled from Nioth to Ramah in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does, not, does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. 
So the first person we're going to interact with, the first person we see that we're going to deal with is David. And David, in this story, is a blameless man. What has David done so far that Scripture tells us? He fought and killed Goliath when no one else would. He played the lyre for Saul when he was afflicted. He was soothing Saul. He commanded and led Saul's armies as a trusted commander. The people were, were happy to be in his, under his command, and he led them to great victories. He went above and beyond to become the son-in-law of the king. He viewed it as a great honor to become the son-in-law, and he did what the king asked him to do, and then some. He did not seek to retaliate at the initial harm inflicted by Saul. Rather than fighting against the one that's seeking to kill him, he flees. The only thing that David did in this situation was to excel. He did everything he was asked to do and then some. He served the Lord. He served Saul as his king. And in many ways, David, I believe, is the embodiment of this passage in Romans. Romans 12, 17 through 19. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to what do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable, peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what does this look like for us? David is blameless in this situation and seeks to live at peace with Saul. There are going to be many times in our life where there's going to be friction between us and others. That is a regular fact of life, that every single day we're going to have times in places where there are people in our lives that we don't get along with, where we have issues with. And most often, we seem to, to, we seem to have a hard time figuring out how all of this works. You see, they may not be like Saul trying to kill us, but there may still be difficulty and conflict, and it's always going to be problematic for us. So how can we seek to be blameless in these situations. When we have conflict, how can we seek to be blameless? The first step is to evaluate yourself. You have to evaluate yourself in these circumstances. The first question that David asks is the question that we should ask genuinely. What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? What are the things in the conflicts we engage in? What are the things we have done? Is there anything we can think of, anything in our life that would cause this conflict, that would contribute to this conflict? Have we fed into the conflict? We have to seek to build an honest retelling of events. And we should seek honest outside counsel as to what happened. See, you don't need hype men or hype people in your life. Have you ever seen people come maybe for a boxing match and they've got all these people around them? They've got like 15 people for one person walking down a tunnel, right? What are the, what's the purpose of those people? To hype that person up, to make them believe that they can go out and win in this, this fight they're about to go into, right? We like to surround ourselves with friends that are hype people. That when we have a conflict, when we have a problem, they're going to come alongside us and say, you know what, I think you're right. They're just being really difficult. I think that you, are, you didn't do anything wrong. We don't need that. That is not beneficial for us. That is harmful to us. We need to know actually what is our guilt in the circumstance. We need honest people in our lives. Where do you hold guilt in these interactions? Were your actions sinful? Did we sin in these situations? 
Now, I want to make it clear that it is possible for people to be hurt or upset with us through, th- through things that we've done with no wrong occurring. You see, Saul was jealous of David because of his success. This did not make David wrong for succeeding. This is why an honest understanding of the situation is so important. Because we can dis- dismiss real concerns to our favor if we distort things. Because the reality is we often we hold blame. We often have contributed in these circumstances. We like to think that we are like David, blameless in our circumstances. But most likely, we are contributing in some way to the difficulty we face. I want you to consider the following situations and see if you've ever experienced them yourself or you've seen them happening. A person complaining that it is cold, but they refuse to wear a jacket. Maybe that was your children. Right? What's the problem there? They're cold. That's a bad thing. What did they do? They didn't wear a jacket. A person complaining that they have no money, but they always wear the most expensive clothing, jewelry, have the nicest car. What are they doing? They're contributing to the problems they're facing. A person complaining that, or a boss complaining about having high employee turnover rate, but they don't treat them well, or listen to them, or hear their concerns. A person complaining about being alone in a time of need, but they consistently ignore their friends when they have needs. Or a person complaining that their life is falling apart while they are addicted to alcohol or other substances. What do all of those situations have in common? The person has something they're doing that's contributing to the pain they're feeling. We've heard this idea in this term very, very uh, abundantly in the world we live in, playing the victim. Whether we like to admit it or not, even within our own minds, we like to be the victim. Because if you're the victim, what does that mean? Someone else is the problem. Rarely will will we be ultimately in the right. So to move forward, we need to understand what blame we carry. And we need to seek to move forward in the middle of that, to own that and move forward through the wrong that we have introduced in the situation. However, there will be times when there is nothing that we have done or nothing more that we can do. Perhaps you are dealing with someone like Saul that through their own brokenness, they are coming against you. There may be people you've encountered from the day you met them. It seemed like they had nothing but ill will toward you. If that is the case, as we'll see when we get to Saul, that is a them problem. It's just coming toward you. That is possible. You may have interacted with that. Or, probably the more likely one, perhaps you have taken accountability for the role you've played in a situation, but the other person refuses any sort of reconciliation. At these times, we must simply leave it to God and continue to live how God has called us to live. And I want us to understand this. Being blameless in a situation does not give us a right to act in such a way that's destructive to those around us not even to the offender. Just because someone has come against you and hurt you and you've asked for forgiveness or you haven't done anything wrong does not give you a right to retaliate against that person in equal manner. Following Christ's example, we are to show love and compassion when others come against us. Think about Matthew 5, 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, 
Turn to him the other also. When people refuse to reconcile and are, confused and are consumed with bitterness and frustration, they are ultimately only hurting themselves. And it's to a person that is like that we're about to look now. We've looked at David and the role as the true victim in the situation. Let's look at Saul and see what we can learn from him. 1 Samuel 20, 24 through 33. So some context for this. Jonathan and David agree that Jonathan's going to go to this, this meal that they're going to have where David would be expected to be. And, and he's going to explain that why David is not there. And if, if the king is all right, it's okay. It's okay that he's not here. He'll know that it's safe for David to return. But if he seems angry that David is not there, he will know that it's not safe for David to come back. So that's where we find ourselves now in verse 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat as, as, at, many, as at other times on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your own mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for, you shall, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. So we see in Saul a descent into madness. It's important to understand because we see him here as the adversary against David. But Saul, in the beginning of his story, if you remember, was not like this. He was a good man that God selected to be the king of Israel. He was placed there by God and he, was, he is now seeking to kill a faithful servant. How do you go from someone that has been selected to be the king of of Israel by God to a person that would kill a faithful servant who's done nothing wrong against you. How does he get to this place? The first thing we see, the most important thing that we see is that Saul has a fractured relationship with God. All of this comes from having a fractured relationship with God. He did have a good relationship with God, but through his own disobedience and refusal to submit to him, he has moved away from the Lord's direction in his life. Any long-term interpersonal conflict we have where reconciliation is not the goal will come because of a lack of a relationship with God or, because of, or it will come at the expense of your relationship with God. You cannot be in right relationship with God and hate your brothers and sisters, hate people around you, 
1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You cannot hate people in word or in deed and be in right relationship with God. This does not mean that you have no conflict in your life. That would be nice, but that's not what it means. Jesus said that the world would hate us because of Him. So there will be people coming against us, and we are not called to ignore outright the wrongs that are done to us. But the purpose should be reconciliation, to, to mend the things that are happening. And there will be times where we even are the cause of conflict, but if we are persist in and refuse to deal with the conflict, that says something about our current relationship with God. If you find yourself having a deep abiding disdain for a person, a group of people, or people in general, this is a sign that there's a serious issue with your relationship with God. Either you are far from God, like Saul, who knew Him and is far from Him, is not living obediently to Him, or you don't know Him at all. You can't be close to God and hate people. So that's Saul's first problem. is He has a fractured relationship with God, and he is desperately insecure. We've seen this from the very beginning of Saul's story. He didn't think he was good enough to be king. He didn't think any of the things he was doing were what he should be doing. What led to him being disobedient? His insecurity. The people were leaving. The people didn't trust him, so he did things in his own power. And so now he sees David who follows the Lord, who loves the Lord, who does everything right that Saul doesn't do. We see his jealousy, his insecurity... 1 Samuel 18.8 is the first place we really see it start to take root. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? You see, when they were coming back from battle, there was people that were singing a song, and they were saying that David had killed ten thousands of people, and, and Saul had only killed thousands. They were talking about how much better David was than Saul and he became jealous and he let his jealousy destroy him jealousy left unchecked can lead to terrible outcomes the first reason is that jealousy distorts our vision David who is a faithful servant seeking to do Saul's will and God's will at the same time becomes someone that's seeking to take the throne from Saul in his eyes because he's jealous Only through something as as destructive and warping as jealousy can someone who's seeking to be helping you and be for your good be someone who's coming against you. Because jealousy will distort your vision. Jealousy becomes all-consuming. I want you to remember who Saul was. What was he? King of Israel. Commanding all of the nation of Israel. What was he concerned with? Something that wasn't even real. This person coming to take his throne. David wasn't seeking to take his throne. The throne was David's because the Lord had given it to him, but David was not going to take it until the Lord gave it to him. And so this jealousy consumed him. All of the good things in Saul's life, all of the power, all of the the blessing he had experienced did not matter 
because he was so bent on chasing down and destroying David, who wasn't even his enemy. Jealousy becomes all-consuming. If you allow jealousy in your life to consume you, it will destroy you and drive you to places you do not want to be. Jealousy will lead you to hurt others that you don't intend to hurt. Saul's jealousy toward David, when he sees that, that Jonathan is siding with David, takes his anger toward Jonathan. We will hurt others if we allow jealousy to hurt us. And we see because of this the escalation of how Saul interacted with these things. It went from internal strife, this frustration that people liked David, it seemed a little more than him, to ill intentions, placing him in in situations and, and hoping that as he goes out to battle that he'll die, to seeking to kill him outright, to saying the very thing, the evil intentions of his heart. And this is how it looks in our life. We'll have internal strife. We'll have these, these negative thoughts. We'll have these, these negative perceptions of how people feel about us or how a situation is going. And then we start to speak our ill intentions like Saul did. You know, I really don't think that this person likes me. Here's what I think about this. We start wishing for their failure. Evil intentions. And then the, the full-blown extent of this is you start trying to actively participate in their failure, hoping to see their downfall. And then all, and in all of this, like any problem that we have, any person that is consumed with an evil intention, there is a justification of Saul's actions on his behalf. Saul knew that his actions were extreme, seeking to, to kill a faithful servant. The only way that he could do this was to rationalize this to himself. He was no longer a faithful servant. He was one seeking to take the throne. And it really wasn't about how insecure Saul was. It was that if David remains alive, then Jonathan will never get to be king. That's what Saul says to Jonathan. Don't you know that if he's alive, that you won't get to be king? That's why I have to do this. Not because I'm insecure. Not because I don't like the way that I feel when I think about how I'm not following God and how David is and how he makes me realize my own inadequacies. It's not that. I want you to be king. So he justifies his evil intentions to himself. This is only possible once certain self-delusions are already believed. Like David being the enemy. So when we find ourselves doing something we know to be wrong, we often try to find good reason to justify the action. This is especially true of our interpersonal reactions. We seek the validation of others through selective storytelling. We paint ourselves as the victim and the other as the villain to hear people say you are right. Have you ever heard of that before? Have you ever had a, a situation like that where you heard someone tell you a story, they told you of an event, of, of a conflict that happened, and you're like, man, I can't believe they would do that, only to realize later on from third-party accounts that wasn't what happened at all, that you had been told a falsified story. Here's the thing, that person might have believed that. Because for them to hold on to their negative feelings, they had to rationalize and justify in their minds why the other person was wrong. We seek to change our motives. We can't really let ourselves be as evil as we're being, and so we change it to something that's more palatable. Saul didn't want to actually be a person that's killing someone because he's insecure. He wanted to do it for his son 
because that would be more noble. And we ignore the root cause. This is extremely important. We ignore the root cause. Saul took his animosity toward David, which was a symptom of his issue. What was his issue? He did not have a right relationship with God, and his insecurity was running rampant. And so this tumultuous state that he is in, when David rises up and is doing the right things, makes him hate David. So if he kills David, what still remains? A person that is far from God and desperately insecure. It's a symptom, not the root issue. I want you to think that if you were driving down the road and your change oil light comes on, do you know what you're able to do? You can reset that, right? You just got to turn your key to the right position, press the right buttons, and it goes away. That's nice. You don't have that ugly little light there anymore. And then about 3,000, 5,000 miles later, it's going to come back on. You know what you could do? You could just turn it back off. After a little while, what's going to happen? It's going to, your engine's going to be gone. You're not going to have a car anymore. You see, that little light's a symptom. It's, it's, it's telling you something's wrong. Something needs to be done. And if you ignore it, it will fester and grow and become a problem. If you do like, seek to do what Saul did in your life, if you realize you've got some problems in your life, and we all do, if you realize, I've got, man, I've got some issues, I've got some, some ill will towards people, I've got some, some frustration, some insecurity, some jealousy, if you make that about other people, and if you can just fix that, you think you'll be happy, you think everything will be okay, you're mistaken. You have to deal with the root issue, which is your own heart in these situations. So far, we've seen David, who's been blameless, done nothing wrong to Saul. And we see Saul, who is projecting all of his issues onto David. And then we see Jonathan. And Jonathan has a vested, vested interest in both people. He is Saul's son, and David is his very best friend. So what's he going to do? It would seem as though he's in an impossible situation, but we see that David does the right thing, and we should follow David's example, or, or Jonathan's example. So 1 Samuel 20, 42, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and my offspring, and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Right before this, Jonathan comes back out, and, and they had a secret message of how David would know whether he needed to stay or, or, or to go. It was the, he was gonna sh- Jonathan's going to shoot his arrow, and depending on how he tells his servant that comes with him, go further or go to the right, he's going to know whether it's safe or whether it's not safe. Jonathan gives the command that makes David know it's not safe. It's not safe to come back. How did Jonathan arrive at this? We see Jonathan is a true... In Jonathan, we see a true friend's loyalty. A true friend's loyalty. Jonathan was a true and loyal friend to David. So how did he do it? The first thing is that Jonathan sought the truth. If you want to be a true friend, if you want true friends in your lives, they will be people who seek the truth. Earlier I mentioned you don't want to surround yourself with people that are like 
hype men or yes men, people that will always tell you what you want to hear. You want people who will tell you what you need to hear, that will seek the truth in situations. The first way he did this is he spoke peace into the situation. David, understandably, was a little distressed. Your dad's trying to kill me. Hold on a second, David. He tells me everything. He hasn't told me this. I don't think he's trying to kill you. He speaks peace into the situation. He tries to de-escalate. He's trying to be as impartial as possible. He tried to think the best of his father, but was also loyal to his friend. And he sought what was true. And he said, David, David said, listen, I promise you, he doesn't want to, to hurt your feelings because he knows that we're friends. He wants to kill me. Here's how we're going to find out. So he agrees to see what his father's intentions are toward David and to warn him or bring him back. He wants to find the truth. We also see that Jonathan loved David as himself. Right, this is the second greatest commandment, Mark 12, 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We see this through his actions toward David. This is so much more than just a friend warning a friend. Right, we, that's, that's common courtesy. You warn people you don't know, right? You warn people, hey, just to let you know, this bad thing's up the road. The road's out ahead. You need to turn around. You do that for a stranger. This is so much more than just warning a person. Here's what's at stake. Saul has already attempted to strike and perhaps kill Jonathan for defending David. Jonathan is acknowledging that David will get the throne. Here's the deal. David has been anointed king. I don't think that's a secret to Saul and to Jonathan. There were people there when that happened. Saul knew and said with confidence that as long as he lives, your kingdom won't continue, won't be established. Jonathan knew that. And he knew that it was is what was right. What, what do we typically want to do in a situation where something might be more beneficial for another than for ourselves? Our natural inclinations are to be selfish. It would have been very easy for Jonathan to have heard his father's argument and say, you know what, I can find another friend. I want the power. I want to live my life. He gave up safety and power for the good of his friend. He loved him as himself. So he's an example for us to follow. If we want to be a true friend, a true friend is going to promote peace. We like it when people immediately agree with us. It is most beneficial to make sure that all things are accurately being represented. In interpersonal conflict, we don't need to throw gasoline onto fires. What happens when you throw gasoline on a fire? It's one of the most thrilling things to learn as a child, right? It goes, whew. And so when someone comes and they've got issues with people in their life, they say, you know what, that person's awful. Stoking that fire that already burns within them. We can either throw gasoline onto a fire or water onto the fire. Throw water. Seek to get to the truth. Now this does not mean that we should always seek to be contrary to whatever we hear. It's not always about disagreeing or presenting the opposite option to extremes, but it means seeking to promote peace. We test the situation. We seek the truth. We need to know the truth before we can help the best way possible. If your friend tells you that, that their boss is giving them a hard time and you immediately side with your friend, 
That could be to their detriment. What if you find out they haven't been showing up to work? The problem isn't the boss in that situation. It's with the friend. We need to know the truth so that we can know how we should answer, how we can advise our friends. A true friend has the other's best interest in mind. A good friend is not selfish. They will seek to provide the best advice and counsel, even when it is not always in their own self-interest. When I was first getting into the very beginning of my ministry, I was still in college, and and I was working as the associate pastor at, at the church where my former youth pastor was the pastor. And it was growing, and it was exciting. It was a fun place to be. And he gave me a call one day and said, hey, I feel like I'm shooting myself in the foot here, but I know of a position that might be a place that you should apply to. Because, you see, I was engaged to Jada, and we knew that we were going to be getting married within the next year, but I didn't have a job that was going to be able to support us. And, and Dwayne, being my mentor and also my friend, knew that this was a beneficial thing for me, even if it meant that I wouldn't be serving with him anymore. There might be situations in your life where your friend says, hey, I've got this wonderful job opportunity, but it's across the country. Maybe it's your child. What do you do? A true friend looks out for their best interests, even if it means sacrificing what you might want. And a true friend helps in times of need. You've heard that, that country song, right? You find out who your friends are. Somebody's going to drop everything. Run, get their car, right? Whoever's going to get there whenever they need to be there, no matter what. It's not, never stop to think what's in it for me or it's way too far. That's how you're going to know whether you are being a good friend and whether people are good friends to you. Are you there in times of need? James 2, 14 through 16. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? When we have friends in our lives that need us, that have issues they're dealing with, I'm praying for you is not always a very an adequate situa- answer. Sometimes that's all we can do. Right? Sometimes that's all we can do. When it's medical issues or things like that, and, and we don't have the, the skill set to step into that, we can pray for them. We can be there for them. But if there's a need we can, we can meet, and we know we can meet it, I'm praying for you is not adequate. You've got to be there for the people who need you in the same way Jonathan was for David. So where do you find yourself this morning? Which of the three people we've talked about do you identify most with? And, and let me tell you, I think that you can and will be in the situation of all three of these at some point in your life. There's going to be times where you are the person that whether you're completely blameless like David or whether you are mostly not to blame, you're going to have people coming against you. You're going to have difficulty that you're facing. You're going to have situations outside of your control that are hurting you and harming you and threatening you, and you don't know what to do. Does trouble surround you? Do you have issues with people and you don't know why? Have you examined yourself? Are you seeking reconciliation? Are you seeking to do what honors the Lord in those situations? Or are you like Jonathan? Are you the friend? Are you the third party that sees this difficulty happening 
Do, you, do those around you face trouble? Are you being a good friend? Are you adding fuel to the fire of your friends in their lives, of the difficulties they face? Are you helping to confirm the evil intentions they might have? Or are you seeking to help get to the truth and actually be helpful? Or this morning, are you like Saul? You have issues in your life that you haven't dealt with. There are, there's difficulty you're engaged in, but if you're honest with yourself, it might be difficulty that is self-inflicted. It's a heart issue. Maybe you were close to God. You've been saved. You, you have a relationship with Him, but you haven't been walking with Him. And that distance between you and God is, is starting to manifest in your life, in your relationships with others, and, and the way you're living your life. What Saul should have done is what you should do today is to turn back to the Lord. Forget about the symptoms and the difficulties you face. Deal with the problem, the heart issue. You and your relationship with God. Or maybe you realize you don't know Him at all. The problem in all these difficulties you're facing is the effect of sin in your life but it's sin that you've never dealt with in the first place. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God because you've never asked God to save you from your sin. Because by default, we are all separated from God because of our sin. We are all sinful people who have, have clinged to things that God despises and chased those things. And because of that, we deserved punishment. But God loves us so much that instead of punishment, He made a way so that we might be saved. Jesus Christ went to the cross to take our sin so that we could have right relationship with God. And if this, this morning you, you know that you are a sinner and you need that salvation, that forgiveness, all you have to do is, is to admit to Him that you are a sinner, to confess that to God, that you're a sinner in need of salvation, to believe that Jesus died for you and was raised again, and to confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Wherever you are this morning, I would challenge you to be more faithful in following where God is leading you, to be faithful in, in seeking to be blameless in His sight. In a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to invite you to deal with how God is dealing with you in your life. The altar will be open and I will be down front if you have any need for prayer. But how is God calling you to move this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given and this, and this time that we can come together and, and to just evaluate ourselves, to see if how we are living as we interact with others is glorifying to you. And God, I pray that you would help us to, to seek after you. You would convict us where we fall short. You would convict us where we need to seek after you. And God, I pray that if there are any who don't know you this morning, that today would be the day they would turn from their sin and embrace you as their Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.